You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 774 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland coming to you on a Tuesday, and uh, as you probably can hear a little bit already, I'm not my normal recording studio setup on this podcast. In fact, this one kind of fell in my lap, and uh, it was organized on the fly, which I uh, always it's always fun to sort of be versatile in my podcast recording. But as you probably saw by clicking on this podcast, I have a visit coming from the great Sam Bassini of the Athletic, who published a monster piece this morning on Tuesday morning about the uh, about the Hawks' young core when compared to the rest of the league, et cetera, et cetera. And I uh, great Sam is gracious enough to come on the podcast on short notice. So I really appreciate that. You'll hear from him momentarily, but I wanted to go ahead and tell you that the whole pod was not recorded um, with my normal setup, but hopefully you guys will uh, be patient with me. If you're a long-time listener, you will have heard me record many podcasts from the arena with my little uh, smaller setup that's a little bit less clear always, but I think it's uh, it's good enough to be to be heard, and uh, hopefully that does not take away from the experience because Sam is always great to hear from. Before we get to Sam, I want to uh, remind you and tell you all that the Lockdown Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, as the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change, and in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all of its host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make, your do- to make your own donation alongside us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. That's LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. And without further ado, here is my interview with Sam Vecini. And just one more note on this. Uh, there is some colorful language, which is not always the case on the podcast, but I wanted to warn you about that. Sam is uh, letting it fly a little bit, so uh, just be mindful if you have uh, kids around. And uh, here we go. Sam, thanks so much for joining me after uh, what is uh, has to be a massive undertaking of this entire rookie scale uh, list. So uh, I appreciate some of your time today. Brad, the last time I saw you, you were watching me melt down while Essendon was playing Sydney uh, in a Las Vegas casino. Meanwhile, you and Robbie Calland and Martin Rickman were scrambling because Kawhi Leonard had just decided to sign with the Clippers after nobody thought the Clippers were even in the mix anymore. And meanwhile, I was, uh, I didn't really give a fuck about Kawhi Leonard. I was just like watching Essendon play. So uh, it's good to hear your voice again. It's good to uh, get a chance to chat and talk a little bit about the Hawks. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I know I'll be lamenting the lack of uh, summer league experience in Vegas, that's always always a fun time, but uh, hopefully we'll manage this summer, and uh, I'm going to try my best to not ask you about the draft, which is going to ruin all of our lives for four more months this uh, this summer. Uh, we'll hold off on that until later. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, people, people have been, like, frustrated with me about how uh, how bad this draft is. Like, no, it's not even, like, bad. Like, there are going to be players that emerge that are good and, like, I think it's it's harder for me because I have to look at the whole thing like contextually as a whole, whereas teams get to look at it. Hey, I only need to find one guy instead of finding 30 guys like I have to find. Uh, Yeah, this this draft is has been frustrating to me from uh, evaluating it from a holistic perspective. Yeah, and of course, uh, sort of on cue, the the really frustrating draft now has four extra months to uh, parse which is a, a challenge for all of us, I know. But uh, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go back to Hawks. 
for uh, for now. And uh, I, I have to start. I don't want, I don't want you to spoil everything from your uh, very very good piece. People should be reading that I'll link to in this uh, in the podcast notes. But uh, we'll start with a, a shocking place to start, and that is uh, that's Trey Young, who you seem to be quite high on. I think that's not a, not a hot take, but uh, I was uh, encur- yeah. I was encouraged to uh, read that you are high on Trey Young. No, yeah, I mean I. I published it like publicly on my Twitter feed. Like I, I think that people miss the forest for the trees on Trey young. Uh, we, we've never really seen a guy this young who is this productive and does so on this level of efficiency. Uh, he is just an absolute offensive force. And I understand why people are concerned Uh, about the defense. I think he's an atrocious defender. Uh, I also think that at some point, once he gets a little bit stronger and gets a little bit more experience and um, is held a little bit more accountable in playoff-like settings, that he's going to get better defensively and and not become... He's going to go from being like, honestly, he's probably one of the five or six worst defenders in the NBA right now. But... I don't think that someone who has that kind of just innate basketball IQ can't figure out how to be, I don't even want to say average on that end. If he even gets to like slightly below average, like he's going to be more than fine and be the kind of guy that can lead Atlanta to like a playoff series win. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think, um, and this is a small thing right now, but even when the Hawks had him playing, so when they were playing some zone defense later on in the season, he was even much better in that setting for whatever reason. He just suddenly got more active, and there were quarters and even halves where it was like, oh, Trey's playing okay on, def- on defense right now. And it wasn't consistent, and it wasn't full games, but um, I do agree. I, I, he's never going to be good, but I, I think there are at least some signs, and just the way that guys mature and um, playing in an environment where they're more competitive you have to assume it's going to get a little bit better he doesn't always have to be this bad right so and this is before we get to the passing which I think you and I would agree is his best skill for sure uh, just his passing and playmaking ability but you know Trey averaged 29.6 points on a 59.5 true shooting percentage this year Uh, only 14 players uh, have ever done that other than him it's Kareem, Giannis, Bird, Curry, Dantley, Durant, Gervin, Harden, LeBron, Jordan, Malone, Bob McAdoo, uh, Shaq, and Kiki Vandeweg. The That's 13 of those guys are Hall of Famers. Uh, Kiki Vandeweg is the non-Hall of Famer there, and he did it in a season where Denver was playing like nine p- possessions above the league average in terms of pace. So it was just like a totally absurd pace of play that kind of uh, inflated his numbers a little bit. So ba- basically anyone who has done this on reasonable pace is turned into a hall of famer. Like, I-, I think that that's the place that you have to start with Trey young, his second and best skill puts him on a hall of fame trajectory. And then we get to the passing, which is his best skill. And he's probably one of the three or four best passers in the league. Like he's the, the amount that he can do offensively is just so batshit bananas. Like, I I don't understand why people try to tear Trey down in the way that they do like any, 
I understand that the team isn't winning. And I guess that like part of this is because of the uh, outsized expectations that honestly Atlanta set for itself this year. Like, I don't even think that uh, this is something that was like a media creation. I think the Hawks did this all on their own. Like they tried to compete for the playoffs this year and they weren't ready to do that because their five best players are all 22 or younger. So like, I'm just not as worried about Trey Young is a lot of, you know, maybe the national media, a lot of national fans that are outside of Atlanta seem to be. Yeah, I I think going back to the defense, there's this notion that because he's that bad on defense, somehow he can't possibly be a player on a good team, which is just silly. Um and I'm not saying everybody thinks that, but there are certain pockets where, like, that's... I'm sure as soon as you posted your piece, somebody was in your mentions talking about how his defense is so bad and that's the reason why the Hawks are bad or something like that. And it's just... Right. That's not a thing that really happens. I mean, I, I know you wrote this and I've said this, and I have too, but, I mean, there's no world in which you could pin what happened this year to the Hawks on Trey Young. Like, Trey Young was very good, and the Hawks were much better when he played than when he sat... It's not. It was not on him that they would not, that they didn't win. I mean, eventually they're going to have to win for him to get the kind of respect that he probably deserves. But this year is not a good example of uh, of pinning whatever lack of success that the Hawks had on on Trey. He was obviously fantastic. Yeah, and look, like I totally understand the argument that for a large swath of the season, the Hawks did not have a real backup point guard. Right, like there were guys like Brandon Goodwin, there were guys um, like DeAndre Bembry taking Evan Turner, baby. That was the that was the role. Um, (laughs) Like Evan Turner was probably their best backup point guard this year, (laughs) and that says a lot, right? Just given where Evan is, I love Evan. I went to Ohio State. You know, at the time that Evan was there, um, you know, I I certainly don't mean disrespect, but he's not at the point in his career where he can credibly hold down large minutes at the point guard position. Right. So I get that those numbers are inflated, but at the same token, the numbers are ridiculous. It's like, they're like 13 points worse per hundred possessions. When Trey young is off the floor, that's like college star shit (laughs) where like the players are so drastically worse than those behind uh the star players in college so like just just like miss me with the whole trey young is like not good enough thing that we we know for a fact already trey young is not good enough uh he is good enough and i think that a big number that shows that is that when you put him with john collins kevin herter deandre hunter and cam reddish they were 6.1 points per 100 possessions better than their opposition they dropped like 117 points per 100 possessions they were just a monstrous offensive force and like that shows me that when he plays and look i'm not even saying that that lineup is high level nba quality either right like that's that lineup is probably still not quite a playoff team yet but when you even put trey with high level competent players uh other than collins who i think is probably a level above the other three um these guys are just exceptionally uh good and outscore their opponent so i'm i'm not worried about trey i am really not worried about trey at all yeah nor should you be until we uh have some have some reason to worry about him which i don't think we have 
just yet. I mean, we could talk about him all day. I think people probably know at this point that he's really good. I hope that they know that. And uh, if not, they should well, read what you can, wrote. <laughs> can, can I give you like the other absurd number Uh-oh. from this thing? Yes, bring it. So Trey Young scored 280 points off of floaters this year. So I, I don't think like it's a surprise to people that that was the most anyone scored off of floaters in the NBA this year. Um, it's not just that he was in first though. Like, he outscored second place on floaters by almost 100 points. Like, I think that John Morant was second with, like, 181 points off of floaters. Um, and he finished, like, with the eighth-best efficiency on those floaters among the top 25 uh, volume, voluminous, I guess, floater scorers in the NBA. Um, he more than doubled seventh place in floater scoring this year. His floater is... Like, there is a case his floater is, like, one of the best floaters in NBA history already. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, um, I heard a podcast, I think it was I think it was Hollinger and Duncan, but it was, I know Nate, Nate Duncan's the one that said it, and Nate said that he thinks Trey's floater is the best in NBA history, and that turned some eyes and turned some heads, and I was like, well, I mean, it's not ridiculous. Like, he's that good at it. It's, it's kind of silly how good he is already, and the touch and the way that he can shoot them going full speed and you know just everything that you would want in that shot and obviously he needs that shot because he is smaller than most guys that are lead creators but uh yeah to have that weapon is uh under under discussed even by me it's it's a it's a ridiculous weapon to have yeah i I mean it's totally absurd he's unbelievable with it um it's definitely the single season leader in the last decade of the synergy database um i i don't like the synergy database it doesn't look like they were tracking them like super closely sure. uh, going back beyond a decade. But um, nonetheless, like he's just ridiculous with it. He's just totally absurd. And I think that it's worth calling that out as uh, such an impressive skill. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think offensively, uh, there's not a whole lot you would want to change about Trey Young. He's really good. Uh, <laughs> let's just... Uh... We could probably leave that hot there take. for now. Yeah, hot take from you, hot take from me, and uh, we'll, we'll walk away from Trey now because we could spend a lot more time, but uh, we'll do that at some other some other later date. Um, before we get to the other guys, I want to tell people about today's sponsors on the show. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for the last 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. RockAuto.com is everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. One reason why people choose to repair and maintain their own cars is to save money, and that is important because it can be used for other things. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more on the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? In fact, chain stores have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com has the same prices for everybody, and they are always the lowest prices possible. RockAuto.com's catalog is also remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. RockAuto.com is also for everybody, and it does not require a membership or an account login. Again, and best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. 
and there are almost endless reasons to love Built Bar. In addition to the incredible taste of each single Built Bar, it's perfect for anyone that's trying to be health conscious with the ability to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. Every bar is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. It's making this even better. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate. Unlike some of the competitors in this space, Built Bars are soft and easy to chew. My personal favorite is the banana nut bread flavor, but there are tons of other great options. In fact, there are 16 amazing flavors to choose from, and they all present their own appeal that anyone could fall in love with. I recommend this uh, product in a big way, and Built Bar uh, is honestly changing my um, dietary routine quite a bit. In order to check that out for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off on your first order. That's promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. It's a perfect day to try Built Bar. All right, Sam, uh, let's talk about John Collins, who you mentioned before is uh, pretty pretty clear the second the second uh, in terms of you know assets or young players that the Hawks have and he made a he made a leap this year on both ends of the floor he was ridiculously efficient offensively was better defensively still not great defensively but certainly better um what do you what do you make of him because obviously he's been in the news a little bit this summer at least I guess spring into summer now um about you know he's under he's under the potential of a contract negotiation when it comes to an extension I'm not sure if they're going to do that or not but uh, a lot of focus on him right now yeah, I'm a big John Collins fan, too. I think he is arguably one of the two or three best weapons in the NBA off of the roll. And it's in large part because he is just so diverse while also being elite at what he can provide within that diversity. Uh, I don't think I'm breaking news saying that like John Collins' leaping ability creates genuine vertical gravity and he's just like a ridiculous lob threat because he can jump over guys if you give him any sort of runway to leap off of two feet uh but the thing that he really augmented this year was uh he now can short roll into the middle of the paint and then drive uh and score uh off the bounce he can pass it a little bit in those settings he's not like wildly comfortable there but he's pretty good at it uh he's like passable at it i guess is the way to put it to where teams can't just like collapse uh on the back end like with him on it like they can't just like have the backside corner tagger totally collapse on him without getting hurt uh if there is a corner shooter in the game uh and then obviously he's become just a ridiculous pop threat as well he at 40.1 percent from three but more than that uh, he can really attack closeouts now. He, When he's at center, he is an exceptionally difficult guard. Uh, really, centers don't have anything that they can do with him now because of all of the ways he has developed, particularly as a ball handler. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, obviously a special offensive player and at, at center, and that's, of course, the big... The other talking point, in addition to the contract extension stuff with Collins, is the fit with Capella, which we haven't seen yet. And I know it's been litigated to to death around here. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where I think the Hawks went and found a, a good value deal on a center. They wanted to plug that hole, and no one would right. no one would act that no one would act like or say that Collins and Capella are like made in a lab as a perfect fit together. But what you're saying does give them, I know, gives them optimism um, that Collins can play the four, um, maybe not full time, but you know, as a primary look because of his development and shooting and attacking closeouts. I, you know, I think, and I've said this before, I think it's pretty clear that Collins would be better offensively at the five. But they they worry, and then I know I'd wor- I would worry too about defensively trying to have him play full time five. And they were just they were 
so bad at the five this year that they wanted to do pretty much anything, and Capella kind of just fell in their lap. So there's lots of competing um, things there, and I do think Collins is still going to play some at the five in closing lineups. And um, honestly, when he plays with Dwayne Dedman, it's almost like Collins is playing the five because they just kind of have Dedman be a pop shooter. Um, and that's right. how they looked two years ago, and we'll see if that works now that Dedman stopped making shots. <laughs> Hopefully he makes shots again. That will make life easier for them. But I don't know. I know you wrote about it a little bit, but what do you make of that? pairing uh, is it something that you think can work or does it scare you i am pretty skeptical of it to be honest uh the thing about the capella deal is kind of like you said anytime you can get a league average starting center for like the 16th overall pick in a bad draft i think you have to do it uh, i just don't see a downside really to that deal because even if capella only plays 25 minutes a night uh that's fine Right. And, you know, you can play like Capella 25 minutes a night. You can play Deadman 12 minutes a night and you can play Collins the other 13 minutes at center. Right. Like to me, that's totally fine. Or 11 minutes at center, whatever it is with Collins. Right. I think I did the math right on the second go. <laughs> um, like I'm totally fine with splitting up the minutes like that. But to me, uh, I don't think they're going to be able to close with. Clint Capella and John Collins on the floor, but he creates a different look to where, uh, to where it should be, it should work out. Like, it's not like they're overloaded with bigs now or anything. Like they have a competent big rotation now, uh, that should work where I'm a little bit more worried is how such a look affects someone like Deandre Hunter, given the cam reddish, like, kind of surpassed hunter this year uh in my opinion at least uh in terms of you know prospectum uh, i thought he was just better than deandre was this year and obviously he's younger and has a bit more body control a bit more uh diversity off the bounce can do just a little bit more in terms of body control um Like, I, I would think that next year, DeAndre Hunter is probably their sixth man. Like, I, I would venture that they're going to go out and start Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, John Collins, and Clint Capella, and then have DeAndre Hunter play like a 30 minutes a night as like a 3-4 hybrid kind of guy. And then I'll be interested to see what they do in the draft because I, I think that like the smoke out there is that, you know, they're looking at Isaac Coro, right? Like, I'm not... That's not breaking news, right? That has been that has been out there to be sure. I know the ESPN guys are uh, in love with that matchup, at least in uh, what they've written. Yeah, um, th that's not. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's like news that Atlanta has some interest there. Um, but I, I don't know if I love that necessarily because I don't know if I love the idea of of all of like Collins, Hunter, potentially Reddish. And then, like, honestly, Isaac Okoro is best right now at the four in the NBA offensively. Uh, he's just not there yet from a shooting perspective, not there yet from uh, – he's unselfish, but he's not there yet from a, like, vision passing perspective in terms of the way he reads uh, defenses yet. So it, it throws, it throws like, a couple of wrenches to where Atlanta has now entered a space – where while I love the way that Travis Schlenk has built this roster to this point, I, I am not someone that thinks Travis should be on any sort of hot seat. I think he's done a really, really good job of 
finding talent at, you know, the price points that exist now, like, do I think they'd be better off having Luka Doncic? Sure. But you know, one decision doesn't necessarily, uh, make it to the point where Travis should be on the hot seat or anything. Um, they're now entering a space where they're going to have to be very careful about how they build. And they're almost going to have to really focus on defense between just the herder young backcourt worries while also getting shooting. And as we know, it's really, really fucking hard to find three and D wings that can actually do both things. Like a lot of the three and D wings that get talked about in the NBA now are fake three and D guys kind of like, Oh yeah, they can hit like an open spot up three if no one's within six feet of them, but they're really good defenders or, uh, Oh, you know, they're passable defensively, but you know, they're great shooters, right? Like the Hawks, desperately now need another guy even beyond cam reddish who i think is going to fill this role really well because i'm really high on reddish going forward uh they need even another guy now that can step in and really knock down shots while also being a really good defender yeah they have some really interesting team building stuff you mentioned the draft pick they also you know they have all this cap space they could sign a starting level wing this summer that wouldn't stun me. They could sign Joe Harris. They could sign somebody like that. That could be a, another piece that they could add to the mix. And they don't want to, you know, you start getting into this. It's going to be crowded already to your point about, you know, they have, they have these five young players and Capella. So they have this like six, they, they have the six man core right now. That's already more than five. You know, I know people always love to talk about who's going to start. They already have six guys to deal with. So somebody that yep. somebody that somebody is rooting for is going to be coming off the bench. And that's, at least that one. And you, you throw in the lottery pick and then you throw in maybe a free agent signing or two. And then you're suddenly talking about a bunch of guys. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that you have to figure out what's going to happen. And uh, there's also PR involved because, you know, I, I'm kind of with you that at some point it might make some sense to have Hunter come off the bench, but they just invested so much in DeAndre Hunter. And I know you mentioned this in, in your piece as well. That shouldn't influence them, but just the real world of the NBA, you just overpaid for this guy drafted him in the top five and now you're going to make him a bench guy in year two after he started essentially every game in his rookie season there's some pr in there as well that may not go over super well even if that's the right the right play i don't know there's just lots of factors and again none of it's bad it's good to have good players that you like but uh it's going to start getting crowded yeah and like look i i don't mean to like really hammer Hawks ownership or anything. Um, yeah, I think that they've done a good job of empowering Travis Schlenk so far to build a roster and uh, to take advantage of opportunities if they, as they have come available. Like a lot, a lot of ownership groups would not have allowed uh, the Allen Crab deal last summer where they picked up a couple of first round picks, right? And I think that ownership deserves credit for that. I also am somewhat worried about that PR aspect and the fact that some of it does seem to be coming publicly from ownership uh, about them wanting to compete as soon as possible. I think that uh, it risks short-circuiting the rebuild and putting this Hawks team uh, in a place similarly to where it was this year uh, to where it seems like it's a step backward or a stagnant step 
when in reality, I don't think it actually was. I think it was a real step forward. Like DeAndre Hunter got better as a shooter. Cam Reddish was really good on both ends of the floor for the last like 30 games of the year. Trey Young took a massive leap. Uh, you know, John Collins took a massive leap. It just didn't happen in terms of wins and losses because all of these guys are fucking 22 years old. Right. right. And they, so and they like, also gave them nothing else. I mean, they had no, I've talked about this ad nauseum. I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but if you look at the rest of the roster, there was just, there was nothing there. It was brutal. No, it's it's a hundred percent right. It's absolutely right. And I just hope that I hope that ownership sees the big picture, uh, and sees that what Schlank has built is very impressive. Like, I, I look at this team and I think that this has a chance to be like a seven seconds or less Suns team, like, style offense that can be like that kind of innovative, intelligent, uh, uh, incredibly valuable group that can lead a Hawks team to not only wins, but to an exciting, awesome brand of basketball that like, really, I don't want to like, I don't want to, you know, hammer the Atlanta marketplace, but like really revitalizes basketball in Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like everyone talked about how boring the Al Horford, Paul Millsap Hawks <laughs> teams were, despite the fact that they were great. Uh, these teams aren't going to be boring no. if they let them just develop at their own pace and get to the point where they can be uh, ready to compete at the highest level. It, it's very rare for a team of 22 year olds to win at an NBA level. Not every team is going to be the Oklahoma city thunder back with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. So uh, yeah, like I, I just really hope that ownership doesn't try to sh try to short circuit this in a way that uh, doesn't allow for the fostering of these players uh, at the best possible level yeah i agree it's uh they need to kind of walk that line because they do want to compete more next year and i get that um but at the same time you don't want to go too far yeah and like the other thing is too like I, I really am cognizant of not wanting to like be too hard on ownership either because I, I don't think that the hawks ownership has done a bad job like i think that they've done well in empowering travis schlenk like i really do want to note that I, i'm just a little bit worried about some of the stuff that you you know see some of the ownership saying, you know, publicly or like you hear privately, you know? Yeah, it's definitely uh, much better than the previous ownership. So there's there's that on the bright side. <laughs> the previous ownership was a, was a disaster for quite right. some time. So there's at least there's some sta there's some stability, but I'm with you. You, you hear things, you never know what's going to be real. And uh, but you have to, you know, at least have your guard up with regard to uh, some stuff that you've heard. I'm sure that you and I probably heard similar things, but there you go on uh, on that. I do want to make sure uh, we touch on, I know we we briefly mentioned all of the, all the young guys so far that really matter, but I wanted to dig in for a second more on the, uh, on the wings because, you know, they're all different. Uh, Hunter is this three, four clear role player. Reddish made the, made the strides you mentioned before. And then Herter kind of stagnated, but there was some injury stuff there. And at least we know what he can sort of do as a secondary playmaker and obviously as a shooter, but I mean, I think it's clear both from what you've said here and what you've written that you like Reddish the best of those three. But uh, I, mean, I guess tell me what you think about all three of them uh, in, ter in terms of what they have moving forward as the Hawks here. I do. I, I think that people might end up being a little bit surprised with where I rank Cam because I'm doing a top 50 prospects thing this week as well uh, across the NBA. 
I think people are going to be a little bit surprised with how high I have Cam. Like, I'm not saying like I have him, you know, in the top 20 or anything, but uh, he features highly among 2019 draft drafted players. Um, Cam had a really fascinating year uh, insofar as like the first part of it was an unmitigated disaster. And one that we uh, all saw just, coming, by the way. You can't, <laughs> yeah, like you can't shoot 31% from the field and like 29% from three for 32 games and not be called an unmitigated disaster to start, right? Um, but over the last half of the season, he really figured things out. Uh, you could even see it in the way that he played like it's not just statistically with him averaging like 14 4 while shooting 49 and 40 from field goal and three right uh he slowed down he started to get more poised he started to understand a little bit better uh in terms of where the help comes from uh he's never been like a wild athlete and i think that that's always been the misconception about his game like people would compare him to tracy mcgrady and he's just nowhere near that level of explosiveness. Yeah. Like it's not even close. Um, but what he does have is just absolutely exceptional body control and absolutely exceptional skill for a guy, his size. What he's starting to figure out now is how he can use his body to shield the ball from players and how to use his body to navigate, uh, you know, bodies in the post to send, Essentially, bodies on the block while driving. And, you know, I, I think that some of his resurgence late in the season was that he knocked down a pretty high level of mid-range jumpers. And I'm not saying I want him to excise that from his game because I think it's going to be important for him to continue to hit those shots. But I'm not sure what his level is as a mid-range jump shooter yet. Uh, if it's in rhythm, it looks great and, you know, it goes in. But that's the whole thing with Reddish. Everything he does looks great. Uh, everything looks so smooth and so polished, but the results haven't always been there. And this goes back to the time that he was a junior in high school, right? So all of the talent is there for Cam. I just really hope that... Uh, I think, and honestly, I do want to say this too. I think that the time at Duke where he was asked to be like the third banana behind Zion and uh, RJ Barrett. And then additionally, you know, was essentially the guy who had the ball fourth most because Trey Jones had the ball as often as he did. Uh, I think that that really helped him with his adjustment to the NBA this year because it forced him to get better at things off of the ball. And when he was in high school, everything revolved around Cam Reddish. Uh, and, and I think that that mix of roles that he's been allocated throughout the course of the last few years has really helped him develop into a more well-rounded player that I think is ultimately going to be more befitting of what his, his skill set is. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I'm trying to have people realize that it all counts. Like, you can't just assume now that Cam is going to be on this home run trajectory from the from the from the end of the season just because he had that right but at, at the same time i i do think and i do buy it i mean it's not as if it's out of the realm of possibility i always like cam as a prospect i think uh, some of the comps like you mentioned were out of control but what you what we did see 
from moment one really was the defense was real and that um, provided a nice uh, a nice little thing to buoy him early on when the offense was really brutal. But defensively, he competed from the from the start. He's really gone on the end of the floor already. And offensively, you, you can sort of see the flashes. And they obviously like him. They were tied to him. I know you know this, but they were tied to him for months and months and months before the draft. Um, like January, it felt like, I think. Yeah. Something they, uh, like that. <laughs> they, were, they were publicly in love with him without saying it out loud. Um, we all heard it, and uh, that ended up being true. Not not everything you hear is true, but that was that was definitely a real thing. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're all in, and uh, I like him too. I'm interested to see where you put him on your list. I won't, I won't have you spoil it here, but uh, I think I would have him higher than most, most people would too. So hopefully I won't be too surprised, but that'll be fun. Um, yeah, no, and, and like just real quick yeah. on Herter and DeAndre, um, I think they're both going to be really solid NBA starters. Like I think that, that the whole point of DeAndre Hunter was you're getting a guy who can come in immediately and, you know, be Damari Carroll from year two onward, right? Um, yeah, I think he's a guy that his defense was a little bit worse than what I thought this year. His feet were just a little bit slower than what I anticipated them being. Having said that, he's 6'8 with a 7'2 wingspan, and I think he should be able to get a little bit better uh, in terms of quickness as he continues to age and uh, mature and continues to get a little bit more anticipatory uh, in the Hawks man-to-man scheme just because, you know, what Virginia does in terms of the way that they read ball screens and in terms of the way that they play and help uh, with the pack line defense is very different from what NBA teams do. So I think it can take Virginia guys, you know, a year to develop defensively just because the adjustment is very different. I'm not saying it's, you know, Syracuse zone level worries, but uh, it, it is just slightly different. And I think that uh, Tony Bennett does a great job. There's a reason so many ver- Virginia guys have exceeded draft expectation. It's because he does a great job of instilling uh, strong, uh, strong work ethic, strong principles in terms of uh, how to play within a team construct. But I just think that sometimes it takes a little bit of time to figure out where exactly the reads are after you've been drilled one way for three years. Right. In DeAndre's case, um, Herter. Yeah. Like, I just kind of throw away the season. He looked the same as he did as a rookie, but, you know, he didn't really have a great runway because of injuries. So I'm hoping that this year we get to see a, a bit more of a uh, just a bit more in terms of his, uh, you know, play other than his shooting. Like, I want to see what kind of level he can get to as a finisher. Uh, I want to see a little bit more defensively because otherwise that herder young pairing is going to be. Uh, questionable going forward so some questions for kevin herter to answer but uh someone who has a chance to be one of the 10 best shooters in the nba at some point yeah i mean we know he can shoot it and uh we'll see this is definitely a big year for herter coming up i think everyone knows that i think he knows that and he and listening to him and his exit interview talk about some of the some of the health stuff i think he understands it's going to be a, a big summer uh, slash third year for him moving forward and on Hunter I totally agree in fact I made the same point about his defense uh and the Virginia translation uh I was guilty of probably thinking he was gonna be a little bit better than he was gonna be as a rookie but uh I'm not oh, giving I up was on him. Too. I thought he was going to be like a plus defender immediately. And I was just like wrong on that. Yeah, it didn't go super well. I mean, I don't think he was terrible or anything, but it wasn't, um, it was not a 
not a huge thing. Like Reddish was noticeably better than Hunter defensively this year, which was a surprise um, and to some for sure. Uh, I, I'm not worried about Hunter. In fact, I, I find myself now, maybe it's the backlash from the trade and the expectations, or maybe it's just that he's not a flashy player and we kind of all saw that coming. But I find myself now trying to tell people not to give up on Hunter, uh, which is kind of crazy. It's only been one year, but because of the age and because he was billed as this guy who's going to be, you know, quickly contributing, I think people just want more. And that's kind of, that was the fear that we all had, I think, about him um, as a top five pick and just kind of the perception of that. But uh, I, I still right. believe, I still believe, I think he's going to be a good player. So. Yeah, no question. Um, like I said, like the whole, people yelled at me at the time for saying like, if you think he's Damari Carroll, why do you have him at number five or number four on your board? I was like, because if you can get seven years of Damari Carroll with four of those years being, or three of those years being effective and cheap, that's a valuable asset to have. And I still think that that's the trajectory here that that's going to be what DeMar or uh, Deandre is. I think he's going to be a really, really good, really, really good player, really useful player. It's just not flashy. And uh, you know, that. I mean, that, that's the kind of right. player that gets undervalued, especially by some portion of fan bases it's just that uh, it's not exciting at all and you you definitely attribute you know top five pick with star power and that's not what he's going to be but uh, hopefully that'll work out for all parties even if they uh they pay too much to get him we all knew that ahead of time so there you go um yeah no question before i let you get out of here you did mention uh several other guys i don't want to you know go through all of them but the guys that qualified for this list for the hawks that would the pickings were kind of slim after the top five but uh, I want to ask you about Bruno Fernando because he's the guy who is on the roster. He is young. The Hawks definitely liked him enough to trade up for him. Um, and I know the fan base liked him quite a bit. It was not a great rookie season. Um, but what do you what do you think of Bruno? Because he's the only other guy that's on the roster right now that, uh, you know, has this, like, maybe a trajectory towards rotation status. Yeah, you know, Bruno is, from all accounts, just an elite-level human being. Yes. Just an absolutely uh incredible person like the intel work that i did like you know on the background that i do for all these kids that are entering the draft like bruno's came back just absolutely unbelievably well uh hard worker great kid to be around like just just one of those people that is a terrific human being uh i was not really a fan of his game entering the draft like i didn't have a first round grade on him like a lot of people did and like i would imagine the hawks did given what they traded up yeah, uh, to get him. Um, I, I just worry that he doesn't really have like an awesome translatable skill. Like he's a smart passer, but you're not going to like initiate sets with Bruno Fernando. Right. Correct. Uh, like in the high post <laughs> or anything, like you can use him as a short roller, but even the passing skill that he showed at Maryland was more like stationary passing as opposed to on the move passing. Um, Really good rebounder on both ends of the floor, but he's not not really like a vertical bouncy athlete in the same way a John Collins is. Um, not really a shooter, despite the fact that I think Atlanta wants to develop him that way. I do think that they're right to try and develop him that way because that's kind of the road for him. Like he has to be like a corner three point shooter, I think. Um, defensively I don't really love him I think that he's often just kind of a step late uh in rotation and look like we can talk about rookie bigs and that being an issue for you know guys adjusting to the NBA level but this was even stuff I saw at Maryland that I thought he was a step late on rotation defensively um 
not an awesome rim protector just because he doesn't have that like vertical pop to really uh, to really defend at the basket. I, I mean, like to me, the upside here is like backup center. And if he gets the three point shot, I see a world where that's possible. Um, certainly, uh, this is why I mentioned the part that he's a great human being at the top. Uh, I think he's someone that teams will want to have around just because he's a great locker room person. Like he's a great kid. Uh, so that really, really helps uh, in terms of his potential to stick. But I'm not, uh, I'm not super high. I would say I, I got that from, uh, from, I don't think he'll be as good as. I was going to say, I don't want to give away your, uh, your list, but he was not number six. <laughs> on your Hawks well look like Marcus here's the thing about like Marcus Erickson like Marcus Erickson might be like a top five shooter in the world right now and by the way Um, he's a former Hawks second round pick people people may not even know who that is because he's not he's kind of fallen out of the consciousness locally I obviously know who you're talking about but uh because he's it's been a few years now and he's yeah like Marcus Erickson yeah god I I was working at CBS when Marcus Erickson got hired or got uh drafted by the Hawks It, it has been a while um it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while for Marcus Erickson. Um, so the connection here is uh, he was brought over by, he plays for Alba Berlin now after playing in Spain for a few years previously. Alba Berlin's GM is Himar Ojeda. Uh, Ojeda was the team's director of international scouting for a year, the Hawks director of international scouting for a year uh, prior to getting the Alba Berlin uh, GM job. So, you know, has knows Erickson well, knows his game really well. Um, yeah, Erickson has hit 46% of his 800 three-point attempts uh, over the course of the last, I think it's three years for uh, Gran Canaria and Alba Berlin. So just an absolutely ridiculous shooter just an absolutely ridiculous catch and shoot guy um i don't think he can really do anything else at an nba level but like you could put him on an nba court right now and that motherfucker would shoot the shit out of it <laughs> yeah he uh for a while i know uh kevin Shinar, good friend of the program we uh, I, we'll, we'll be tweeting about marcus quite a bit it's cooled off a little bit but you know he'd be someone who could be an nba player in a specific role he can shoot it obviously so uh, I don't blame you for having him there, and he's still interesting to me too. But uh, it's just that he is. How old is he right now? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think on top of my head how old he 26. is. 26. Yeah, which isn't like, it's not unprecedented that a guy would come over at that age. It's perfectly reasonable. He's not dead. No, he is not. Um, yeah. All right, I have to ask you one one draft question and one draft question alone before we get out of here because I'm going to try to bribe you to come back before the draft happens because we are still almost four months away, which is wild. Um, if the Atlanta Hawks got got the number one pick, and you can't say trade it because that, that's my answer is trade it. But uh, who would who would you take? For the, <laughs> who who would you take for the Hawks at number one overall? Because that's the question I'm gonna, I have to ask everyone, and you can't say trade it. Oh no! It's You're hard. Not letting it, me say trade it. Isn't really? it? Isn't it really hard? Uh-huh. I mean, my answer is trade it. People are I'm sure tired of hearing me say that, but uh, I would certainly put the for sale sign up. You don't have to trade it, but I certainly would try. <laughs> Um, who would I take? It's hard, isn't it? I know it's not a, the Hawks are not an easy one on this one. There are certain teams that it, this is an easy one. This is the Hawks are not one of them. I think the answer is Anthony Edwards. Um, I'm worried about what LaMelo and Trey would look like together. 
because I think they would fight over the ball. Um, I'm also worried about Anthony Edwards, right? Like, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> Anthony Edwards is not a perfect prospect. Um, I don't really think that like someone like Isaac Okoro has enough upside for my taste, uh, despite the fact that there is reasonable, you know, thought out there that he could be someone that makes sense. Um, it makes it hard. Number one. I mean, even if they, even if they liked Isaac Wiseman because they just traded Capella. Even if they liked the Coro, I don't think you can do it at one. I mean, maybe you could, but <laughs> that would be a, a tough one for me to try to sell. Is like, is the answer not trade out, but like trade back to like number seven to get like Vassell or a Coro? Maybe. I mean, that might be an answer, especially like I've said, if they land. Might be at, an answer to a different question. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. But if, if they land at like three or four, I, I feel like that's even more of a clear spot to come back a couple spots um, and, because yeah. you probably can still get a core oversell wh- whoever's there, um, whoever you like. Cause in the event that they just did not like anybody else, maybe they do like LaMelo or Edwards at the top, but th- if those guys are gone, there still aren't great fits for the Hawks at like three, four, five, frankly, for me anyway. So I don't know. This is a, this is a tough draft for everyone, but it's especially Honestly, tough for the Hawks. Like, I would have been real intrigued by the idea of Anyeka Kongwu. Um, yeah. Before they traded for Capella, but like I don't think that works now. Um, yeah. I mean, like there's a case for Denny. Yeah, I was gonna say there's there's some best player available cases. Like if you just thought Kongwu was by far the best guy available at like four or five, and he was still there, you could just take him. But the fit is not ideal. Denny is a yeah. interesting guy to be sure. He would fit alongside what think, they have, but he's also a lot like the other. I think the, the answer is, <laughs> yeah, I think the answer is Edwards. I think you just take Edwards. That's probably the safe one. I, I think that's the answer that I'm going to get the most as I ask people this question. Nobody is super excited about it. There are some Edwards fans to be sure. I'm not a huge Edwards guy, and I've said that he's still really talented though. Like I think we all oh, know the, what he could be. The ceiling is through the roof with Anthony Edwards. Like he is crazy talented. Um, you talk to coaches that played him this year and they were just like, he is insanely talented. He has so many physical gifts and he just did not look like he wanted to win out there. So it, it would, it would be a fascinating media experiment to, to have Anthony Edwards uh, with Trey young and like all cam reddish and like all these guys to, to see uh can can you create a winning culture with all of these guys that had all of these questions entering the draft from you know coaches and nba executives and all these guys about can they actually win games yeah you have you have that one and then you have like you mentioned before like i have mellow number one but uh the mellow tray case would be interesting i, I think it's not like my on record take is that you can't cross off Melo. Like I, I think it could work, but you have to ding him a little bit. Is kind of the web and framing it. Like maybe you still maybe you still just like him so much that you take him anyway. But uh, you know it's got to be a factor of some sort. I might like honestly, I, I really yeah, might. Me too. Just take the Melo <laughs> if it was me. Um, I think I would still go Edwards and just be like you know what if anthony edwards really wants to sit down and defend he can be an awesome defender if he really wants to 
You know, the thing about Edwards, too, is like playing with Trey would really help him because it'd take Bob's hands, yep. give him a chance to like cut, give him a chance to move off ball and, you know, be an actual two guard as opposed to, you know, this year and, you know, what he's been in the past where he's acted as like a combo. Uh, you know, playing more of like a Victor Ola Depot role versus a, uh, you know, combo guard, you know, elite level, take 75 ball screens a game guy. <laughs> right. And uh, going back to bring things full circle, that would also be the easy PR play uh, for the Hawks, given that he is, like you mentioned, he's, yeah. he, he is a shooting guard. He's a local product. He's a consensus top three guy for everyone. That that would be the easiest sell of all from a PR standpoint is to just take the guy everyone thinks you should take. Everyone thinks you should take <laughs> to the extent that that exists in this draft, because there really doesn't there isn't that guy in this draft necessarily. But if you wanted to put all the consensus boards together, he probably is the guy that most people would say the Hawks should take. I don't know. It's tough. I'm so disappointed you didn't ask me about my uh, my take on DeAnthony Melton. Oh, well, I mean, I will say this. I have a I have a staffer on Epi Streets named Andrew Kelly who's really smart, and he wrote a, like, 4,000-word deep dive into why the Hawks should try to sign DeAnthony Melton. And uh, Did he really? He did a few weeks ago. I'll have to send you the oh, link. Oh, I love that. But, uh, yeah, I know you love him, too. You always have, going back to the draft. In fact, I think you might have been the one that turned me on to him originally um, when he was at USC. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and fire off your DeAnthony Melton tape because we've talked about him enough in Hawks land now where people know that that's, like, at least on the radar this summer, maybe. See, to me, it's a perfect fit because the Hawks want to play up tempo, and DeAnthony is like a perfect, uh, you know, secondary ball handler to play up tempo basketball with, as he showed in Memphis this year. Um, really great defender in the way that the Hawks need in the backcourt to play next to Trey or to play next to Kevin Herter. Uh, it's it's a perfect fit, and he's one of the few guys in this free agency class that would really match up with them in terms of. Uh, age and in terms of where his prime is likely to uh, to hit, like when his prime is likely to hit, because I think he's 22 right now. So to me, it's a perfect it's a perfect fit to the point where I would be pretty comfortable like overpaying for him. Like if the Hawks offered him 455, that's more than what he should get right now. And it would be like an arenas provision deal where he'd be making something like $17 million a year next year or not next year uh, in year. Yeah. At the end of that deal. But you have to though. I mean, it's, it's RFA. You have to overpay. Like you have, in order to get a guy like that, you have to overpay and you you have to figure out where that line is. But you know, the most famous recent example of that with the Hawks is like the Knicks just came in with some crazy offer on Tim Hardaway Jr. And that's why they got him. The Hawks were going to match that deal. And then they were like, wait, that's ridiculous. And they let him go. But that's that's kind of how restricted free agency works. You have to pay more than the guy is worth, probably. Yeah, like DeAnthony's probably something like a nine million dollar player right now. I think, um, some somewhere in that range, maybe. Uh, I think there's a chance he could live up to a contract like you know four fifty five. Yeah. But it is a deal that you know, at least early on, probably would be an overpay. But it's overpaying for a guy who fits exactly what you're looking for and who fits the age timeline perfect. Um, to me, like if you're going to use money in free agency, I'm a lot more interested in doing that than going to get like Joe Harris. Yeah, I can. I mean, he obviously is closer to the timeline. Joe Harris would help them a lot right away, but he's older and you probably have to pay him a lot too. And at the end of that deal may not be great. So yeah, I can, I can totally see that Joe Harris is better right now, but that doesn't mean he will be in two years. And Melton is super young. I mean, I think Melton, I'm pretty sure Melton is younger than DeAndre Hunter. 
<laughs> right now. I'm fairly sure about that. That's I might be probably wrong. right. But if not, if not, it's close. Um, and he's sitting for yeah. agency. So there you go. So yeah, we're, we have another uh, thing in common. I'm, I'm in on that uh, to be sure on Melton. And by the way, people should be reading your other deep dive rookie scale breakdowns instead of just the Hawks. I mean, this is a Hawks podcast, but uh, all that stuff's worth reading. And I'm sure you've written hundreds of thousands of words uh, all, all across the uh, all across that. I'm I'm uh, both jealous that you did it and also not jealous that you had to do all the work because that's a lot of work. <laughs> um, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's it, it was a lot, <laughs> um, but it gives me it gave me something to do outside of draft work which I'm always uh, I'm always looking for and I've wanted to you know do a fan graph style prospect ranking for a while so uh, yeah shout out the shout out the inspirations for that like Corey Pronman doing stuff at our site on the hockey side uh, fan graphs literally ranking every prospect known to man like I've wanted yeah. to do something similar to that for a while um, yeah no uh, it's a it's fun it's really really fun it's great. And uh, anything else you want to plug? I know you talked about the uh, rookie scale like prospect rankings coming later in the week. Is that is that the main thing to be look, looking out for now? I know your podcast as well. If you want to plug that, yeah, go to the Game Theory podcast. I'll do something at some point this week on that. Um, kind of breaking down all of this stuff. Um, go to. Uh, I'll have go to the Athletic. Just subscribe to the Athletic um, to read all of this work. Uh, and I'm also going to update the team rankings. Like for instance, like I ranked Miami at like 18 in the preseason before the Bam at a bio leap. Miami obviously jumped <laughs> yeah. in the team rankings and I've updated all of the internal team rankings as well. Uh, so yeah, go look for that whenever that comes out and then go uh, look for the top 50 prospects ranking whenever that comes out on Thursday. Check out Sam's stuff. Uh, it's always great. And uh, thanks again for joining me, sir. And I'll, I'll be trying to track you down again in like, I don't know, September, October when the draft is finally here. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you guys next time.